Welcome to the Eventful Entrepreneur. I'm Dodge Woodall, founder of Bournemouth Sevens, the world's largest sport and music festival. Ever since events across the world came to a grinding halt, I've been bringing people back together, but in a different way. On this week's episode, I'm chatting to a dame who has won two Olympic gold medals, Miss Kelly Holmes. Kelly rocketed to stardom when she won two gold medals at the Athens Olympics. We chat about her early days as a teenager in the army, her successes on and off the track, her ongoing battles with injuries and mental health, and how it changed her life forever. Hearing firsthand about the dedication, relentlessness, and strength it takes to reach the pinnacle sport is really inspiring. So if you want to hear more stories like this, make sure you subscribe and we will keep them coming. Here she is, the one and only Dame Kelly Holmes. Kelly, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, really good, really good. Well, let's get cracking. Why did you choose the army and what age were you? So I was 14 years old. We had the services come into our school and it was when they had the service um, offices in like towns, yeah. you know, kind of military services. So they came in, showed me free videos or us, uh, the Navy, Air Force and the Army. And the Navy couldn't swim, so ships at sea was a no-no. <laughs> the Air Force, I showed the administrative side of it. I was like, no, I wasn't academic at school whatsoever. Yeah. I went yep. to school for two reasons, one to be uh, with my friends and two to do PE, that yep. was it. Um, and then I showed the army, showed uh, soldiers screaming and shouting at the other soldiers. And I just, I was just inspired to have it as a career and to want to do something like that. Lovely. So at the age of 14, that's young, right? That's a, that's a young age to get into the yeah. army. Yeah. I mean, I was lucky. I feel like, you know, I didn't really think that I knew what I wanted to do. And certainly, you know, the word university or college didn't yeah. even come into my sort of vocabulary. So, yeah. um, it was just about having a career and doing something different. And did you, when you went into the army, were you like, if I go into the army, I know I'll be able to train and really focus on my athletics. Was that something you had in the back of your mind or not? No, I wanted to have a career. I wanted to be a soldier. I wanted to be a physical training instructor, wow. but I actually joined as a heavy goods vehicle driver. Is that right? Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Wow. The first three years. But because I couldn't get into that course, I was so desperate to get in. I just like, oh, I'll take anything. <laughs> <laughs> so what was that? So what was the point then? You went into the point of going into the army. Was there a lot of lot of sport being played in there? Yeah, there was, but you know, when you join the army, you still have to do the same as everyone, whether you're sporty or not. So basic training. So everyone is around army law and armed processes. You have to pass that before you go on to your trade training, which is what mine was to drive and do trucks. Yeah. Um, so you go for a trade training and then you go to a unit, a normal working unit, and you just become a soldier doing a job. You know, there's so everything that's in civilian street is replicated in the military. It's just on the uniform and discipline, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, that, period of my life was always about growing up very quick mm. uh, learning to deal with different people yeah. and regulations and then the values that the army would instill around yeah. courage and determination self-commitment all of those things that you just you know you'd expect I suppose yeah yeah, yeah. and what and what, what year did you go into the army 
Uh, God, show me age. I'm still 39. Why are you asking me that? Um, 88, 1988. I, I, I actually joined the Royal Arm, Women's Royal Army Corps. So it was a different setup. So Women's Royal Army Corps, you went in and it was the same promotion. Uh, the rank structure was all governed by females, etc. Et and then 1992, we amalgamated to what is known as the British Army. So there's a massive time and transition for females in particular yeah. in the army. But I stayed in during that time. And how many women were in the army when you were there? Was it like 90, well, 90%, 10% or? Um, I don't know what percentage was, but Women's Royal Army Corps, I mean, it's just a proper army corps. I mean, thousands and thousands. But yeah. um, I joined with 29 others. So you join with an intake. Um, we're all aged 17, 18, 19. Um, and you end up kind of get initiated pretty quick yeah, I'm sure, <laughs> in that I'm sure. world. But then, you know, I can't remember the percentage of women in the army still to this day, but, yeah. you know, a lot of women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And when did you know you had a talent for running? When I was 11 at school. Um, and then very quickly that that talent was good was 13 when I won the All English School Championships. And then I suppose what really cemented how good I could have been was winning the mini youth Olympic games when I was 17, I won a gold medal in the 800 meters. And that obviously put me up like right high up in that sort of setting, but then I wanted to go in the army. So kind of left it behind. Yeah. How, did you, how did you balance like both? You went into the army, you knew you were a good runner. Did you have your eye on an Olympics? Was that even in your mindset back then? Yeah, since I was 14. Is that right? <laughs> I watched the uh, Olympic Games, Sebastian Coe, who was one of the, you know, greatest middle distance runners in the world, along with Steve Obet. He won the 1500 metres. And I remember watching him getting goosebumps and saying I wanted to be Olympic champion from that, from that day. Wow. Wow. So, the, so your first Olympics was what, 1996? Yeah, I was 26 and still serving full time. Wow. And what, being in the army, did they allow, did they give you a lot of freedom to go and do all your training you wanted or not? No, not then. Um, it's changed and it certainly has changed really good now, but it went through different eras. So there was an era with Chris Akabusi. Yeah. Some people remember him, his era and the roles that they played, they were able to. And then it went through an era where unless you're in a massive regiment and you wouldn't be noticed yeah. uh, going, but I was a PTI, so there's only ever... I was by then a physical training instructor. So there's only ever sort of a handful of people in charge of a whole regiment. So I used to have to use my leave to go away and compete. And so your first Olympics was 96 in America? Yeah, Atlanta. Uh, tell me tell me about that experience for you. No, uh, it wasn't, wasn't a good one. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a good one. I mean, I was favorite to win a medal. I was one of the best in the world. I trained so well before I left the UK. Then I realized I'd had a pain in my leg. Basically got a, a scan, told me that I had a stress fracture, that I should go home. I said, no, what's my second option? So I ended up having um, injections into the bone to numb the pain. Um, however, I still came fourth in the Olympic final running with a stress fracture. I got picked by a tenth of a second. Wow. So that in two ways, one did a psychologically like a real disappointment and you know to be so close to yeah. a medal was so bad and to be emotionally in pain as well as physically was bad but then the realization that i still come fourth at an olympic games yeah, amazing, right? running with a i kind of must be all right <laughs> so it's almost like really strange that time yeah yeah 
what was the mindset for you when you finished that Olympics? You're like, right, I need to crank it up a notch. I want, I want Sydney in 2000. Uh, the, the immediate thing is disappointment and almost kind of like disappointment and almost like questioning, are you good enough? But in a way it changed my mind into being, okay, I'm good enough. I just got to keep in. So of course I went for the next four year cycle. There's championships every year. Yeah. So I just set different goals, like breaking the British record or winning a Commonwealth or whatever it was. And um, yeah, I suppose you just go through again, the highs and lows yeah. of sport, but Sydney was going to be my focus. Yes. And what, and what pressure did you find yourself under Sydney compared to Atlanta? The pressure was for me to bring back a medal. The pressure was also to not be there injured yet. I'd got injured in the uh, beginning of that year. And I actually only had six weeks of running before the Olympic Games. The rest of it was in a pool, uh, on a stepper, bike, cross trainer, weight circuits. And I had six weeks of running. I was told I'm probably not going to get to the Games. I got selected told that if I got anywhere like semi-finals then I should be lucky and <laughs> grateful but I got to the final and I ended up actually leading the final of the 800 meters with 30 meters to go and the only reason I probably lost uh certainly a silver was that split second of almost like losing concentration because I suddenly thought oh my god I'm leading yeah. you know going from fighting to get there to lead in the final <laughs> a few suddenly it's like ah! <laughs> you know, and then you know it's that quick one split second of losing it yeah. people pass you and I was lucky I got a third I ended up getting the bronze though and and obviously listen a bronze at the Olympics in, in Sydney unbelievable Amazing. unbelievable achievement what was the experience like at Sydney compared to Atlanta the two Olympics how did they how, what was the difference different. completely Completely. Okay. I mean, I didn't feel any of the Olympic spirit that I'd grown up with in Atlanta. It was very commercialized. It wasn't for the athletes. It wasn't organized. There were a lot of worries and threats around. So that then going to Sydney, it was, I believe, one of the best games they've had before social media because everybody loved the fact that they had the games. Everyone was so friendly, welcoming. You just felt, you know, that sort of Aussie yeah. spirit. And it was just a fantastic game. Yeah. And how long, how long were you out there for? Uh, I was out there for a good three, nearly four weeks. And, and how, does it, how does it actually work? You've got the qualifiers. How does it work to get to the final? Um, well, so you go to a holding camp with the British team, first of all. We were in Brisbane. And yeah. then you go over to, you know, the Olympic Stadium or the Olympic Village. And then um, whilst you're at the village, so because I still doubled up. So for me, I always do six races in eight days or six races in nine days depending right? on the timetable mm -hmm. oh wow yeah so because of the fact that I'd been injured my last part of preparation was just I only focused on trying to get as fast as I could yeah. I didn't really think about the process of yeah. getting there and racing so it was almost <laughs> like it just became quite you know it's kind of like you just got to do it you're just in that zone and then obviously getting a bronze medal was a massive thing but I also feel that I let myself and my coach down because I was so elated with the bronze medal that I just lost all focus on the 1500. Yeah. And my coach believed I would have medaled and probably I would have in the 15 because I was getting better and better and better because of the delay I'd had. I was yeah. like getting better and better and better, but my head had gone. So yeah. I was so happy with the bronze. Yeah, yeah. And what about the camaraderie out there? Is there all great Britain athletes out there? What's that like? 
it's brilliant it's so much fun I mean there's always these kind of laughs around this the swimmers because the swimmers always start first in the Olympic program and they're all partying by the time the athletes start. So kind of all having flings and doing things. Everything goes. You know, it's always like we have to stay so focused and, you know, thing and they're all, they've gone and they're having like a laugh. And I'm always on the last bloody day of the whole Olympic game. And it's just like, like everyone's having fun and I'm still having to just, you know, so yeah, it's kind of just the atmosphere in the village is brilliant because you have all the nations in one location. You see the flags over the buildings, yeah. imagine apartment blocks and, yeah. you know, the flags and the energy and everyone has to wear their uniform going around. So it's just such a great, it's just such a great feeling to think that you're at the highest place you can ever get as a sports person. You're part of it. So your whole leading up to 2000, you're obviously training, training, training. How does it work with sponsorship for athletes? Is it tough? Yeah, it's tough because you sponsors want to support people that they think are going to get the headlines, think are going to get the, you know, the medals, the championships and all of that. And, you know, it's tough when you're an athlete and you're going through the highs and lows of sport to get people to stay with you and support you through that because they've always support you when you're on the high. But when they're on the low, they almost like give up. But actually, they should be with you on the low because you're likely to come back up. And I think that's the experience you have. And also, funding only started in 1999. Yeah. We also means tested with what you already had. And I'd saved money through my army career. So you get means tested, which wasn't a great way of doing it either because you get some people that weren't working full-time getting funding and yeah. people working full-time getting less but actually they were still lifting the yeah. high so yeah so it was a difficult time in terms of transition but it was also good because it started to put the sport especially athletics yeah. in a more professional mode yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and what about from the, when you finished 2000 how old were you how old are you then yeah. <clears throat> 30 <laughs> were you were you literally thinking straight away again i'm going for athens 100 percent. not immediately because it was like reevaluating, seeing where i was and of course winning the bronze was amazing but three months later it was still a bronze yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and i'd always dreamed of being olympic i just have always believed i'd be olympic champion i yeah. can't explain to people why yeah. how did i know i just had it within me i don't know fate freaking whatever coming into me but you know I just believed I saw myself crossing the line you know it's that empowerful but that's a difference to having that as a dream and ambition to sticking with it so it's really evaluating because of another four years you know and that's another four years of Commonwealth Games European Champs World Championships you know and double world champs because it had changed so it's a big commitment to then still have a driver and if Olympics is your dream you have to have a four-year plan yeah so the thought of can I keep going for four years and was I as strong or not as strong because I was getting better and better, but um, having been in the army and then getting used to what the life as an international athlete was, it was more do I have it in my head and my heart to keep going. Yeah. So it's obviously really fine margins that we're talking about a minute ago. So from 2000 to 2004, what was the difference in an 800 meter run for you? Well, next to nothing. Is it next to nothing, is it? Yeah, like my personal best time had been 156.2, I think, and I won 156.9 or something. You're joking me. 
you know, so split. Um, but I got a personal best in Athens for my 1500 meters, only just, but I yeah. still got one. And that was the end of my career at the end of a race. So it's not really that because, you know, during your career, you get to know your status. So it doesn't change that often in terms of when you're racing against your opposition over a period of time, of course, people start retiring, but for the middle part of it, you're always against the same people. So it's really small little margins yeah. and gains that you have to make and can make. And I think what I realized in the last two years of my career is that actually I was better than I ever thought I was because of my top opposition, most people had not been injured like I had, had had free runs during the season, yet I was still meddling against them all the time, yeah. even though I'd been really injured. Anytime I'd been absolutely injured the following year, I'd still meddle. So in my head, it's like, if I can still meddle when I am not 100%, then I have to be better yeah. than you when this is your yeah. perceived 100%. Yeah. And that's how I went into it. Yeah. So things are small gains, but you imagine running those times constantly, you know, it's hard. Some races are fast, some are slow, but mm. essentially you have to be ready for the fast ones. Mm. So did you have any injuries between 2000 and 2004 before uh, Athens? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Loads. Or what was it? Name, 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 name me a major one that made, uh, you, that made you think, oh my God, I might have to pull out here or... Uh, only between that time, oh, I could have told you the list. But um, so I'd had another calf tear, um... I'd had a reoccurrence of, I'd had glandular fever in 99, so I had a reoccurrence, the episode barber, I was in 2001, that halted kind of my step back uh, for 2002. And then I won a gold and then silver um, in 2002. And then I got another niggle in my uh, calf muscle in 2003. So when you get a niggle in your calf muscle, just tell me how long, that, how long would that put you out for? So... For me, it was more the fact of the mental side of getting an injury again, because I'd always fought through injuries and I could adapt to going in a pool. So probably just before the World Championships in Paris, I was back in a pool train, basically, not running. And was that your biggest low, would you say? Yeah, I had a breakdown, yeah. came self-harm and depression. So you could that say right? that. Yeah. Is that just because of all the pressure you put on yourself or from outside? Mm, probably a bit of both a lot internally yeah. knowing when you want to do something and everything felt like it just always felt like you know you're getting cursed and it sounds weird but like you could have why again yeah. you know what I mean I'm proving I'm fighting I'm still here it's like what why am I getting injured because even when you get injured you adapt yeah because you don't want to get injured again yeah. then you get another injury you adapt so it wasn't like I'm just getting the same injury all the time it might be similar because lower body but you end up just fighting in your head this whole thing of like why you know and then there's outside things and then there's personal things so there's lots of things that contribute to it but when you're so blinkered to be like the best all those other things you almost like block out yeah. and you just go with what you're trying to do you yeah. don't really think about personal things you don't think about emotions you just want to do it yeah what sponsors did you have on board leading up to the 2004 olympics uh sponsored by reebok were my main kit sponsor yeah and do they put pressure on you? Uh, I suppose they do in a way just because, well, not so much pressure at that time. You know, you're, you might get a certain amount for sponsor, but then you get a certain amount for bonuses yeah. if you get medals and things like that. Um, it was more for me was having the right footwear that I was going to uh, eliminate as many injury problems. And then there was a, an issue. I mean, like literally, <laughs> I used to have this problem literally at, 
Athens or like they sent me, I had a brand and they sent me the wrong spikes that I was from oh, no. training. And if I'd gone into those, guaranteed I would have been out of it. And I ended up having the most flimsiest, lightest, paper thin spikes that I had to wear for six rounds. If I'd had one tear in them, game over. Oh, no. So it was almost like a kind of battle thing. But I think when you're when you're right at the top of your game and you've got a sponsor, of course they want to support the best and you equally want to be the best. I don't really think about it in terms of I've got to fulfill a need in the sponsor. It's like, no, I've got to win a medal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that will come second. Yeah, that's afterthought, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so what's that to tell me about uh, we're moving into 2004. Did you ever get a good run in into 2004 with no injuries like the last six months or three months? You thought, you know what? Yeah. I'm feeling good. Yeah, because Coming out of 2003, when I had the worst time, I still actually got a silver medal at the World Championships, yeah. which a lot of people forget. At the depth of despair, I was on top of the world. You know, I'm number two in the world. So the psychological thing of strength there. And then you come in to the next year, I'd fallen or chipped, I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, the World Indoor Champs went down, shagged down the... the uh, you know, kind of track and then just thought, okay, it's not an injury. I've just, I'm about, I'm, you know, I had to change my mindset. Then I had to make sure that every single person around me were living my dream selfishly. Yeah. It was like, you have to be the top of your game because yeah. I know now I can do it. If I can get through all those injuries and win medals, if I can be the depths of despair and not wanting to be in and still win a medal, I can freaking do this. Yeah. But I've got to keep my body injury free. I've got to keep healthy and I've got to keep on form so that psychologically I'm, at the top of my game so I did that with the team around me and the running I mean I didn't have an injury like literally yeah. after that world indoors it was the best year of preparation which obviously helped with my confidence yeah. helped with my re-approach to the games and the people around me lived my dream I mm. mean simple as that tell me about your experience at Athens what was that like compared to Sydney as an Olympics game and as, as an Olympics uh I suppose in Sydney, I felt more of the, you know, the friendly atmosphere. Because I always say that anyway, of, yeah. you know, kind of Sydney and Australia. But Athens was still really good. It was just at a different level because financially they'd struggled a little bit more. You know, kind of you always hear the bad side of preparation. Yeah. Are they going to be ready? Yeah. You know, they're still painting the lines yeah. as we turn up on the thing you know they were they were painting the lines as we were in the bus coming off the airport but you know as an athlete you don't you're not there for that you're there to run and yeah. compete or whatever you do so I and because I was so literally in tune with everything to do with myself you know the the biggest things for me were actually in Cyprus our holding camp that's where I had a lot of things go on but once I got to um sorry in Athens, go back to Athens. Athens was, uh, I didn't feel much about the games because yeah. I was just there yeah. to do my thing. You know, everything was almost like so regimented for me and the people around me that I wasn't going to do anything wrong. I wasn't, you know, I'd had such a great build up where I was so relaxed and so enjoyed the build up and it felt like I took the pressure off me. It's almost like it was then a process of everything that I'd put into place in training in Cyprus, I just had to execute. It was like almost like that. Yeah. There you go. You've had a really good time, really good build up on top of your game. Now move forward. Yeah. And were you tipped to win the 800 and 1500 or did you just come out of nowhere? 
No, I wasn't. T- no, I, everyone knew I could probably. Everyone knew I would come back with a medal because yeah. I've done it many other times yeah, before. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, I'd had uh, twelve other medals before, so it wasn't like I wasn't there. But I think because of my in, my injury history, it was almost like you know the press would go, you know, almost yeah, she's the bridesmaid, yeah. ever the bride type thing yeah. at that level. So the expectation was I'd probably come back with a medal, but what was good about it, in my, from my perspective, not from this person, but Paula Radcliffe had had the gold medal basically put around her neck before she'd even done it. Yeah. So all the focus and, and profile was on her. And yeah. I'd refused to do any uh, press apart from the British Forces radio because I just felt that I just got to run. I've got to let my legs do the talk and any distraction would make me start to think about things. Yeah. And I was in such a clear direction because I knew everything I'd ever done and knew I could be was happening at that time my training was so out of this world I didn't want to shout about that I didn't want to have any negativity so when I went into the 800 meters I knew I could win a medal I didn't want for one second even think about dreaming to win gold like not at all is your game plan to always be at the back and then overtakes and no one can see you. Because I watched the 800 and 1500. It's exactly what you did on both of them. I did because the game plan was to run as even as possible so that I didn't, so I was in control of my race and I'd practiced that every single time I'd stepped on the track for training is that can I run each split for the eight or 15, a 200 meter split yeah. as even as possible? Because I knew from history, experience and winning medals before is that, women's 800 meters generally if you know who's a front runner and you know who's in the final Giles Miles Clark, uh, Miles Clark was a front runner it was inevitable that she was going to go out to the front and the times that she would run so you kind of get a sense of them where do you need to be the worst thing was is after the first one 200 meters I'm so far back off that yeah. thing that yeah. that was you know, that could have been make or break for me. Yeah. If I'd panicked at that time, but I kept an eye on the clock, I knew I'd gone through this so many times, yeah. you know. By then I was 34, I knew what I was doing. Yeah. You know, I'd started winning medals when I was 24. Yeah. So it wasn't like I didn't know how to race, but it was putting it all in one practice. Whack, whacking it into that fifth gear though, on that final, that final, what, 100 meters, it's like, my God, I just watched it a minute ago. It's like literally brought a tear, you know, watching it, it's like, wow. Patola won't let Kelly Holmes pass. He wants to control this. Miles Clark has the lead. Kelly Holmes attacking on the outside. What has Matola got left? Has Andrianova got anything? What about Miles Clark? Kelly Holmes fighting for the gold medal with her training partner, Maria Matola. Kelly Holmes bringing it home for Britain. Can she get there? Come on, Kelly. One more job. Come on, Kelly Holmes. It's gold. Kelly's won the gold for Great Britain. What was that feeling like when you went over the line? The eight was... Oh, it was incredible because it, it was such a shock, the first one. I didn't really know if I'd won. So I thought I did, but then I didn't yeah. know. Because so close, right? I mean, yeah. yeah, like whisper. Yeah. But as I say, a win's a win because yeah. when you get fourth, shit. <laughs> 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 um, you know, so, yeah, it was almost that that was just such a surreal moment as well as I think that, if I hadn't won the 800, I might not have won the 15 because yeah. I think I would have put so much pressure on winning the 15. But that pressure was almost alleviated because winning the eight meant I was already Olympic champion yeah. and anything else that came would have a been a bonus. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. How many days in between the 800 and 1500 final? Uh, three. Were you like ranked to win first, second or third in that 1500? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd been always been um, like top three in the world yeah. pretty much every year. Um, I'd had the fastest time out of all of the fi finalists, but not that year. And in fact, I'd lost every single 1500 meter race that year, but won every 800 meter race. Right. And that's because I put so much pressure on myself to be a 1500 meter champion yeah. that I just messed up every race. So all I did with the 800 is take the same strategy because it worked, you know, it worked in the heat semis. You end up thinking I could have run so differently in the 15, but I thought, well, if I stick to that same strategy, yeah the heats I can assess my opposition I did it for the semi and then the final and I do believe in fate yeah. I believe I didn't give up I did you know I wanted this so badly that it was almost like you know premonition in that moment you know has she got him up in the home straight? Hayeska tries to move out, but Kelly looking round to see where the danger is. There doesn't appear to be too much. Now she's got to push on. Now she's got to kick for home. Kelly Holmes going for two gold medals. It's going to be Hannah Storick's second goal. Kelly Holmes for Great Britain wins the 1500 metre title. What a performance. 357.91, a personal best to boot. You are the double Olympic champion, Kelly Holmes. That is the greatest performance in the history of British distance running, the history of British athletics in the Olympic Games. Do you know what I loved, Kelly? I loved yeah. the bit when you're on you're on the uh, podium and you've got the Union Jack wrapped around your waist and over yeah. your shoulders, double whammy. <laughs> I like everything, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's not going away. Yeah, that's you know, quality. I'm proud to be British. I've always wanted to you know, win that medal. I won for Great Britain when I was 17. I, I always thought, I wonder if I ever win when I'm older. And I did. Tell me, did you go partying that night? Uh, no, I tried. I tried to go out with, um, I tried to go out with Matthew Pinson, who'd won the gold medal in the rowing. And we thought, oh, let's all go out. So we went out and uh, what happened was, oh, because it's the last day of the champs, we just, we just couldn't get out. It was just like, there was no kind of taxis or anything. So we ended up um, going back into the food hall and having magnums and yeah. stuff. <laughs> Rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, just listening to all my family getting drunk and all of that. <laughs> so when you, so you've gone there, you've got two gold medals, you're flying back. Do you know what the country is thinking at this point? Do you know no. what's going on back here? No. Tell me how your life changed when you landed back in England. No, it's just so weird. <laughs> you know, your family and friends met me at the airport and everyone was going mad. I thought everyone was literally mad. It was like I was picking pop star or something. It was just crazy. It was absolutely crazy because you're in a bubble yeah. at the Olympics. You, you know, they were taking, apparently, I didn't know this, but they were taking all the newspapers away whenever I went anywhere because they didn't want me to see what was happening. They didn't really? want to see me all over because it made me like think, oh my God, I'm losing that. <laughs> So I saw one news in the whole time I saw one newspaper and I was on the front. I was like, oh my God, I'm on the front page because no one, got, women in particular, didn't get on the front page. And, you know, I've been doing sport for many years of my life and occasionally I was. You're always on the back pages, you know, but to be on the front page of a national newspaper, yeah. but they took them all away. So I didn't know. <laughs> Tell me, did the sponsors, were there more sponsors when you landed back in England for the next few years? Uh, 
yeah, yeah, different things, opportunities, but you know, I kind of kept my feet on the ground. You know, I promised a group of young female athletes that I was going to be mentoring them and taking them to South Africa to teach them what it took to be a world-class athlete. And that was in the October and I'd selected them in the January. And obviously now they were going with a double Olympic champion. And I was told by, you know, management and sponsors, like, we're wasting your time, you know, you could be doing loads. And I said, well, yeah, but I'm going to make an impact on their life forever. So I did it. Good for you. Tell me, <laughs> tell me about um, how you got appointed to become a dame. Uh, well, somebody clearly put me forward. Yeah. I know Brendan Foster said I should be a dame on the commentary, which I didn't know at the time. And uh to get a letter, get a letter for the Queen to say you've been appointed as a dame commander of the British Empire, which was like amazing. amazing. You know, I'd got my MBE for services to the British Army in 1998. So I kind of already had an award, which not a lot of people knew about. Mm. Um, so, but getting that, you know, all I wanted it had to be from the Queen, didn't it? Amazing. <laughs> I had to have it. Had to be from the top person. <laughs> yeah. Did you go and see her? Yeah, yeah. So you get to Buckingham Palace. I mean, you go when you come back with an Olympic team anyway. You yeah. always get to go to Buckingham Palace, but it's a bit different when you're getting knighted. Yeah. yeah. Tell me, let, let me know a bit more about a uh, sports personality of the year or any TV shows you're invited to post Olympics. Um, well, I've won around 25 awards. Um, majority of those were, well, a lot of them were after, obviously, uh, 2004. Um BBC Sports Personality of the Year is like the biggest accolade you can get as a sports person. What year, what year was that? Uh, 2004, Four. end of 2004, Brilliant. December. And then, yeah, I got a European Athlete of the Year, World Athlete of the Year, TV Personality of the Year, TV Gold uh, Event of the Year. I kind of just got <laughs> European Athlete of the Year, everything. It's amazing. And then since then, I've got awards for philanthropy and writing books. So, yeah. Wow, you're some girl, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it's not things that you expect and you certainly don't. I just do things because I'm passionate about it. I try and make them work and work hard to get there. And then fortunately, people recognise that, yeah. I suppose. Tell me about when, when you, did you, you retired as soon as you finished that Olympics, I take it? No, I am. Um, no, I carried on for another year because I'd never thought one second past winning. You know, I'd lived my life to win. I never lived my life for what after. I'd never lived my life for fame or fortune or to think what I get from it. I only lived my life to stand on top of that restroom. And everyone was saying, you must be retiring. And I was like, well, what am I going to do? You know? so, so I carried on, but I got injured again because now, you know, I'm getting invited to all these events and people were sending me high heel shoes and boots and things, which clearly wrecked me. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then I decided that... Um, well, the decision to retire wasn't anything really directly to do with sport. It was more about I met a I met somebody who had talked to me about potential to do some work together, and I'm now thinking, gosh, I've got to start thinking about my future. And anyway, that guy basically was a guy from Ireland who I was over getting physio because I got injured again, and yeah. just of course I was going to get injured, you know, because I wasn't really paying attention to everything because I was doing so much. Yeah. And uh, anyway, this guy, basically, when I landed back South Africa, where I was living at the time, he got told he got three weeks to live and he died three weeks later. And I was just like, 
Oh I'm worrying about whether I should compete. Yeah. Whether, I don't know, all I've been worried about is being an Olympic champion. Yeah. Now I'm worried about whether I should still, like, no. Yeah. So I retired then and there. And actually having that as an event that makes you decide is really good because some athletes are so do not know what to do and yeah. holding on, shall they, shan't they? And that's an awful way to finish if you do it prematurely. Yeah. So I was very lucky almost that, that I had a, right, I need to retire. Yeah. Okay. And what do you do after? What do you do after you retire from athletics? What's been your world for the last 14, 15 years? Oh gosh, so many things. I was national school sport champion under the Golden Browns government for three years, trying to inspire the next generation um, students. I started a charity in two thousand eight to help disadvantaged young people from areas of deprivation become somebody that they think they couldn't become, but we utilize the skills of retired and retiring athletes. Yeah. So we've transitioned the lives of over 750 athletes and affected uh, over 400,000 young people. I chaired the board for eight years, stood down uh, for good governance. Um, so I'm now president of that. I had an med- education and mentoring program um, company for 10 years. Yeah. I started a coffee house that I'm in the building of now. It's now turned into a... A proper uh, entrepreneur, uh, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> I was in the property and now I started a tech company um, delivering corporate wellbeing uh, platform into, yeah, into corporates wow. called Elf at Work. And is that what you do? Is that what you do day to day now, is it? Yeah, so that I have a sort of fitness brand as well, Military Motion, but mainly on a day-to-day basis, I do a global speaker. A motivational speaker and uh, lead on their development um, in terms of the business development for Elf at Work. So, like I say, it's an app that goes into corporates that deal with uh, well-being and mental health awareness. Yeah, wow. And you still you still look like you're in good nick. Still training hard. I keep fit. Yeah, I mean, I started in um, lockdown one, just doing what I did as fitness and sharing, you know, kind of social media platform. And now I built a business basically out of that uh, military emotion where I lead on programs and challenges and training sessions. So I have to do things every day. Yeah, 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 <laughs> that, yeah. that helps. I'm currently on a hundred K challenge, which is doing me in day for oh, 10 K day for 10 days. But I've been coming off of the back of, I had an operation last year. This is most running I've done in a year. I'm on day four. I might not move from this spot. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, you know what? You're an absolute superstar. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. I could speak to you all day long about everything. There's loads to talk about and you're a proper entrepreneur and a uh, superstar as well. Thank you. And hopefully I'll see you in Clubhouse. Or hear you in Clubhouse. In Clubhouse, we will. (laughs) Where where can people find you, Kelly? Instagram? Uh, yeah, so if there are many go on my Instagram at Dame Kelly Holmes. Um, on my fitness brand is at Military Emotion. And my... uh, the app is at Elf at Work. Wonderful. Do you like being called Dame? I'm kind of used to it, to be honest. And I'm, I'm, honoured, to, I'm honoured to have it. You know, I'm also honorary colonel with the Royal Armoured Corps. I was appointed that in 2008. So my full title was actually Colonel Dame Kelly Holmes. But right? Dame, Dame Kelly's good. <laughs> or Kelly. Or Kelly. <laughs> yeah. Kelly, you're an absolute star. Absolutely love this. Uh, you take care Thank of yourself you. and I'll see you about. Thanks so much. Nice one. Take care. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Eventful Entrepreneur. Join the conversation today. Review and subscribe for free on iTunes now.